I'm Perry Weinger with Collar Creek Ranch in Gonzales, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Thanks so much for taking time to join me for another edition of Texas Ag Today. All you've got to do is jump on in with me and buckle up. We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, we're seeing more and more cattle placed into feedlots. The latest USDA cattle on feed report was a bit of a surprise. Analysts were expecting placements to drop, but that didn't happen. We'll take a closer look at that coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. In the Texas High Plains, it's been a case of whatever rain we got was too little or too late. And in many cases, both. Now, a disappointing crop season is nearing the end. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. Natural gas prices are going up October 1st as Texas Panhandle farmers continue planting winter wheat. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have those details on Texas Ag Today. This is James Duncan in Marshall, and this week, hay, grazing, and markets. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. USDA's latest cattle on feed report released Friday contained a bit of a surprise. Most analysts were expecting the number of cattle placed into feedlots to drop by 3 to 5 percent, but that did not happen. USDA livestock analyst Shale Shagum looks at the numbers in this latest report. The number of cattle on feed on September 1st was just under 11.3 million head, which was about four-tenths of a percent above a year earlier. Uh, Feedlots marketed just over 2 million head of cattle during August, which was about 6% above a year ago. But there was one extra slaughter day in August, and if you make the adjustment for that day, uh, marketings were only about 2% above a year ago. But that placements number we were talking about earlier came in at 2.1 million head, about a half percent larger than last year. Shagum says the explanation for that is simple. Drought. With the continued dry conditions and in large swaths of the U.S. and uh, declining availability of forage, we're just continuing to see heavy placements of cattle. USDA livestock analyst Shale Shagum. Another case of bird flu has shown up here in Texas. The Texas Animal Health Commission and USDA's Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service has confirmed the presence of highly pathogenic avian influenza in a non-commercial mixed-species backyard flock in Dallas County, Texas. The TAHC is working closely with federal animal health officials on a joint response. State officials quarantine the affected premises and birds on the property will be depopulated to prevent the spread of the disease. The National Association of Wheat Growers is working to strengthen the safety net in the upcoming Farm Bill. 
Texas native and CEO of the association, Chandra Gould, says this is a big priority for wheat growers. Well, you know, we're definitely looking at is the current safety net, which is made up of crop insurance, ARC, and PLC, is that sufficient to where the current cost of production is for the wheat industry for us? And in our end analysis, we would definitely have to say no. We, I want to be very clear, though, we're not trying to say that the safety net needs to make sure that growers make money, but it needs to be a solid backstop. And it's clearly not keeping up with the total cost of production that we're currently seeing across the country. And Gould says the first step in doing that is to preserve the current crop insurance program. But there are other things that can be done. Other things that we'll be looking at will be uh, increasing the PLC reference price for wheat, uh, making sure that we continue to have good access to crop protection tools, uh, to continue our voluntary conservation programs, and then trying to seek additional additional budget authority so that we can expand some of those programs that we do like and have the potential to raise that reference price to increase that safety net. Chandler Gould, CEO of the National Association of Wheat Growers. This crop year was plagued with drought, and the rain we did get was mostly too little too late. James Hunt tells us a disappointing crop year on the Texas High Plains is finally coming to an end. If you farm in West Texas, we have a lot of tough seasons. You know, this is a pretty tough place to farm. That's the voice of experience talking, as Barry Evans of Cress has spent decades farming in our region, and his experience this year has indeed been tough, of course largely due to a near-total lack of rain for many months, although one small event did provide brief encouragement. We got it really right around planting time. If I remember correctly, in early May, mid-May, we had about an inch and a half, which did get some of our crops up, but with there just being no subsoil moisture at all, nothing really got going. That one-and-a-half-inch rain event Evans just referred to represents pretty much all the rain his farm received from August of 2021 through July of 2022. So this year's cotton production will be much less than he had hoped for. The dry land, which is what most of my operation is, didn't make. It really didn't even get off to much of a start. We knew pretty early it wasn't going to make. I do have some irrigated, and I have stayed with it and irrigated it all I can, which is pretty limited. And it'll be worth harvesting. We'll start harvesting here in about two weeks, which is pretty early, and it's going to be a mediocre crop at best. Evans says there won't be any harvest for his dryland sorghum. However, last month, Evans Farm did finally receive enough rain to get a wheat crop going. Hopefully we'll have a wet winter, and I will plan on harvesting that wheat, and then I will leave the stalk standing where it can catch moisture during the summer, and then it will go into cotton in the spring of 2024. The kind of moisture retention strategy Barry Evans and other farmers have to use in this pretty tough place to farm. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Texas winter wheat crop is now going into the ground. Tom Nicoletti checks in with a panhandle farmer for an update on his planting progress. Joining us today is uh, wheat farmer uh, David Clevenger. He farms west of Amarillo in uh, Deaf Smith County. And uh, David, uh, you uh, grow a number of crops throughout the year, but right now you are planting your winter wheat. Uh, you folks uh, receive some recent moisture. Uh, how's the planting going uh, considering uh, the drought conditions this year? Well, we should finish up uh, later on this week. We did get some moisture back in August. In the month of September, though, we haven't received any rainfall whatsoever. I was talking my crop insurance is one of these forage programs that we're in, and it looks like 
September was a very dry month, so there's possibly some losses on those forage policies for September. So going into uh, the uh, fall months and into the winter, what are your prospects for your crop uh, considering everything uh, that has uh, taken place in 2022, the drought, uh, high input costs, and other uh, challenges? Well, I think most producers in this area are just ready for this year to kind of come to an end. It's been a very expensive year. It's been a very dry year. I think in July, we did get one storm came through that in our protector farm got three to four inches but for the most part just a extremely dry year with no sub moisture so that makes for tough growing conditions we have some center pivot irrigation and we're trying to get it watered before the first of october because our natural gas prices we've had a contract all summer long at 450 per thousand and it's going up to about 920 per thousand cubic feet we're hoping that the winter will bring some snows and there is a little bit of sub moisture down there so if we can get the wheat up and going, then we can put cattle on and produce, have some grazing, hopefully, for the winter. That is Texas Panhandle wheat farmer David Clevenger. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Last month's rain was a big shot in the arm for farmers and ranchers in East Texas. James Duncan has an update from Marshall. The rain came. It broke the drought in most of East Texas. And that is a topic of discussion and still in every country cafe and feed store that we visit in this area. I traveled around and the producers that we have talked to have really, really enjoyed the production that they got out of their hay. The only problem is it's only the second cutting. You see, we missed that complete summer cutting. And so we're still behind as far as hay production is concerned. It's going to be that way. Some producers are down as much as uh, uh, 40% in their hay production. So we're going to be needing different methods of winter for our cow-calf producers. Many of them are looking at grazing standing grass that they have in areas with a little mineral supplementation. Uh, They think they can get this done and uh, do it reasonably. Now, the uh, grazing of steers and the like, we're going to have to prepare winter pastures anyway. So that is taking place right now. We've got the moisture in the ground. We get the seed in the ground. We will need moisture over the next 21 days to get that uh, winter grazing up and growing, which we hope that we will receive that. So markets, we've had some big sales, large runs, had a great big sale over in uh, the Sulphur Springs area, large numbers of cattle. The market has held up pretty good, though, as far as uh, uh, those things are concerned. Can't quote any prices because it's going to change this week for sure already, probably. But it has been good. It has been, and we thank the Lord for that. But in East Texas, we're happy that we got out of the little drought. We're looking for moisture now. With hunting season coming on, we need to keep rain in the mix and uh, to keep uh, fire protection Uh, available to all the areas. We don't need any forest fires, anything like that. That'll wrap us up. This is James Duncan reporting from East Texas for Texas Ag Today. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department is preparing to establish another CWD zone, this time in Central Texas. I'm Jessica Dommel, and I'll have more coming up on Texas Ag Today. And if you have a spring calving beef herd, the time for vaccinating both cows and calves is coming soon. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today.
Texas Farm Bureau Insurance has protected fellow Texans with auto, home, health, and life insurance since 1952. With more than 260,000 square miles of land and 27 million people, that's a lot to cover. Whether you're wrangling cattle or wrangling kids, we're proud to protect Texans in all Texan ways of life. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to get insurance for Texans by Texans. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. If you have a spring calving beef herd, the time for vaccinating both cows and calves is coming up soon. Dr. Bob Judd says there are two types of vaccinations you should consider. Dr. Buddy Ferries with the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service indicates that vaccine products contain high numbers of modified live or inactivated killed organisms, subunits, or inactivated toxins of organisms known to cause a specific disease. These products deliver antigens that stimulate the body's immune system through the production of antibodies. A vaccine containing inactivated toxins is called a toxoid, which is not a killed or modified live vaccine. Vaccines containing killed bacteria are called bacterins, and adjuvants or carriers are added to these vaccines. These adjuvants slow the release of the vaccines and prolong the immune response. The non-infectious or killed vaccines are usually safer than live vaccines, but may produce a decreased response compared to modified live vaccines. However, the killed vaccines are approved in pregnant cows and calves nursing pregnant cows. Kill vaccines generally require a booster in two to four weeks if the vaccine is a primary immunization, and this can be difficult in the cow-calf business to work these animals a second time in a short period. On the other hand, modified live vaccines are just as the name implies and are live but modified so they do not cause disease. The modified live vaccine actually infects and replicates in the animal, and because of this, most are not approved in pregnant cows as this could lead to abortion. And although it rarely occurs, some modified live vaccines can actually revert to virulence and can actually cause disease. The good news is that modified live vaccines generally do not require a booster. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department is establishing another CWD zone. Jessica Domel says this one will be in central Texas. Deer hunters in four central Texas counties will likely have to bring their deer to a chronic wasting disease testing site this season following the detection of the fatal neurological deer disease earlier this month. According to the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, four samples taken from white-tailed deer in a deer breeding facility in Limestone County tested positive for CWD at the Texas Veterinary Medical Diagnostic Lab September 5th. John Solovsky, TPWD's Wildlife Division Director, said the department and the Texas Animal Health Commission are taking the situation very seriously. He said fortunately the positive cases were detected early and they have a good sample distribution across the facility. He said at this time it appears as though CWD has been contained to one pin within that facility. The investigation of CWD there continues to mitigate the risk of spread of the disease to the state's native white-tailed deer population and to other deer breeding facilities. TPWD staff are reportedly developing CWD surveillance zone boundaries that will impact hunters and deer breeders in that area this season. Parts of Limestone, Hill, Freestone, and Navarro counties may be impacted. According to the department, CWD zones are an effective strategy to manage and contain the disease. 
Both CWD containment and surveillance zones require hunters to take hunter-harvested CWD-susceptible species like white-tailed deer and mule deer to a check station within 48 hours of harvest to be tested. That testing is done at no cost to the hunter. A public meeting will be held in Limestone County before the CWD surveillance zone is enacted to provide additional details of the zone and CWD management. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Cattle and cotton started out the day higher Tuesday, but they could not hold on to those gains, closing mostly lower. We'll take a look at all of Tuesday's livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Hi, everybody. This is Kerry Martin with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. You know, every day on the radio, I have to report on how awful everything is in Texas agriculture right now. The heat, the drought, the markets. I just can't imagine how this is making you feel as a Texas farmer or rancher. Well, if it's getting to you, I want to ask you to give some friends of mine a call. It's called the Texas Agri-Stress Helpline. Here's the number, 833-897-2474, 833-897-2474. Farmers and ranchers are some of the toughest people on earth, but hey, we all need help sometimes. If you just need somebody to talk to in these tough times, give them a call, 833-897-2474, or if you can't write it down, go to Farm Life Help. Dot com. Do me a favor, don't wait. Call them today. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Tumbling markets around the world are pressuring all of our agricultural markets and cattle futures are not immune to that. We're seeing a lot of pressure in the cattle trade. We saw it again on Tuesday. The exception was the nearby October live cattle contract. It actually gained 10 cents to close at 143.57. Everything else closed lower. December live cattle down 45 at 146.90. February live cattle down 60 at 150.85. Same story on the feeder cattle market. September feeders down $1.17 at 175.70. October down 95 cents, 176.12. November feeder cattle down 77 at 176.27. Cash fed cattle trade still quiet for the week. It looks like the show lists are a bit smaller this week and asking prices a bit higher. Boxed beef was mixed Tuesday. Choice up $1.7, 248.91. Select down $1.27 at 222.08. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Russell Heller sells cattle in Lexington every Saturday of the month. Guess who's on the line to Russell Heller? How'd that sale go? Yes, sir. Has 692 total head with 86 cows. Walk the pins with us, Russell. All right. The thinner packer cows brought 30 to 54, and the better cows 55 to 91. On the steering bull kids, 3 to 4 pounds, 120 to 220. 4 to 5 weights, 115 to 215. 5 to 6 weights, $1.10 to 195. 
six to seven weights a dollar five to one seventy eight seven to eight weights a dollar to one sixty eight on the heifers three to four pound heifers one fifteen to two dollars four to five weights one ten to one ninety five to six weights a dollar five to one eighty six to seven weights a dollar to one sixty seven to eight weights ninety five to one forty eight good sounds like you had a good sale what was the count six ninety two how were uh, the cattle received by the buyers they were good. Quality of cattle was good, and everybody was aggressive and wanting to buy a few. And I guess your sellers were pleased with prices? Yes. Good. Yeah, everybody happy. Good. Uh, now, speaking of being happy, we're going to have a sale next week. Do you know of anything coming already? Yes, I do. One man's going to have about 25 Charlotte Cross kids, and that's all that I know of. Well, that's a good start to a great Saturday sale in Lexington, Texas. Russell Heller and crew, tell everybody how to get a hold of you. Sure, you can get me on my cell. That number is 979-820-7002. Russell, we'll talk with you before the sale and uh, see how it's going to shake out. Thanks so much for the call. Thank you, Larry. Neighbor, I'm Larry Marble here in Central Texas, reporting for Texas Ag Today. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now. We're lean hogs traded sharply lower on Tuesday. October hogs dropped a dollar sixty-seven at eighty-eight seventy. The December contract dropped three fifteen, closing at seventy-six twenty-five. Class three milk was higher. September milk up a penny in nineteen eighty-eight a hundredweight. October milk up fifty-six at twenty-one thirty-eight a hundred. The cotton market traded sharply higher at one point in Tuesday's trade. In fact, we were up about three cents, 300 points, but we lost all of that and then some to close lower. As we mentioned earlier, weak stock market, weak financial markets around the world, and a surging U.S. dollar all putting big pressure on the cotton trade, despite the fact that we have Hurricane Ian heading into the southeast, and that could cause some serious damage to that southeast cotton crop. That didn't help prices, though. December cotton dropped 28 points to close at 88.09. March cotton down 55 at 85.39. The corn market managed to see some slight gains. However, the same story. Strong dollar and weakening financial markets kept a lid on any gains. Harvest pressure also pushing prices a bit. December corn managed to gain one and a quarter to close at 667 and a half. March corn up two cents at 672 and three quarters. Fresh Russian attacks on Ukraine helped to support wheat prices in Tuesday's trade. December Kansas City wheat up 13 and three quarters, 943 and a quarter. December Chicago wheat up 13 and a half at 871 and a half. In the energy markets, November natural gas down 23 cents at 677. November crude oil up 204, 78, 75 a barrel. The financial markets were merrily mixed on Tuesday afternoon. The Dow down 58 points, 29,202. The Nasdaq was up 36 at 10,839. The S&P unchanged at 3,655. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. My name is Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the U.S. of A., Texas Agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Thank you.